Good morning. Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 5. Well, Joanne, it's nice to know that we have a new expert on conflict resolution. Now I know where to go with my problems. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. After these things, he, that is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also, the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Okay, we're going to explain that last cryptic section here this morning, but not at the beginning. We'll get there in a minute. But uh, let me just give you a heads up. Uh, The title of the sermon is, Jesus is Unorthodox. Or we'll subtitle it, Don't try to put Jesus into a box. Did you know that Jesus is unorthodox? You're sitting there. How can he say something like that? Jesus isn't a heretic. Well, that's not what I'm saying. The word unorthodox really, uh, in the simplest sense, just means contrary to what is usual, traditional or accepted. Is that Jesus? You better believe it is. Haven't we seen it in the Gospels? (laughs) If you took out all the places where uh, someone was complaining about what he did or said, you wouldn't have much left, would you? His words, his acts are so unlike us, even for believers. Try to put. When's the last time you ever uh, sought God's will and confined him to uh, doing this or that? Huh? You know, Lord, help me with this now, but it better be this or that. I don't want anything else. Right? 
You know, we have these preconceived ideas and uh, he'd better fit in there. Well, that that's a big mistake. <laughs> He's God. Don't try to put him in a box. God says in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. A wonderful verse in Psalm 50 captures well. It says, God, God's talking uh, to the Jews and he says, you're mistaken like you. Isn't that good? You know, we expect him to act and think like us. I'm so glad he doesn't. His words, his acts are perfect. We are not, okay? He is like no one and no one is like him. We're going to see that in the passage this morning here. So we begin with a tax collector and just a few few brief words. I think most of you know this, but just for those who don't know, the way tax collecting worked in these days, in the time of Jesus, if you were a tax collector for the Romans, which is the case here, uh, for Levi. By the way, Levi is Matthew. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first gospel. That's Ma- He's Matthew. Okay, so if I call him Matthew, remember, I mean Levi here. Okay. Uh, if you were a tax collector, here's how your uh, job went. The Roman government expected you to collect so much money for your area. Okay? Once you've collected that much, Anything else above that, you yours. Isn't that great? So you shouldn't be surprised, therefore, that uh, tax collectors were prone to have rather high rates. You know? And uh, they had the Roman army behind them, so you'd better pay up. Okay? So you maybe you can understand, if you didn't know this before, why tax collectors were so despised among the Jews. They were seen as corrupt officials sent by the Roman government to, uh, you know, reduce them to poverty and get rich in the process. So that's who Levi or Matthew is. That's his job. Now, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, I can tell you without the words being here that apparently Matthew had begun to have second thoughts about what he had been doing. In fact, it's pretty clear that he was uh, recognizing what he was doing was wrong. And he wanted to get out. And he wanted to stop. No doubt his life was empty. How do I know all that? Well, it's because Jesus said later, I come to uh, call sinners to repentance. And he's talking about Matthew in the context. So it's clear that Matthew repented. Well, you say, well, where does it say that? Well, it says it because Jesus saw his heart. You see, he knew he had repented. That's why later he said, I came to call sinners to repentance. An example is Matthew. I called him to repentance. And we can tell he repented because of his actions. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh We have no problem with Jesus seeing his heart. Remember, for example, uh, back in verse 22, 
Look there. Remember when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you when the guy was let down through the roof? What does it say? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them. It'd be interesting to be in the company of Jesus, wouldn't it? (laughs) Uh, It's as if you're speaking out loud your thoughts. Because he knows what you're thinking, you see. Um, And then uh, later, we're going to see this next week, chapter 6, verse 8. It says, but he knew their thoughts and said to the man. Okay. So you got to add that dimension. When Jesus is going around ministering, he knows what everybody is thinking. Okay. And he knew the thoughts of Matthew, of Levi. And so that's why he would say, I talk about repentance because Matthew was fed up with his sin. And he wanted to give it up. So I love that. Uh, there's, there are really very few ver, uh, words here in, in verse 27 about Levi. Uh, but that's okay. He got saved because Jesus was the evangelist. Okay? And as I read this, <clears throat> I've said this before in talking about evangelism. Uh, maybe... Uh, if you're a believer and you feel a little pressured about witnessing, let me help take the pressure off for a little bit. Uh, when I was first a believer back in the 70s, and certainly even before that, um, a lot of churches and a lot of believers felt that evangelism was going out and sharing a little booklet of a uh, few pages with a person, getting them to agree with what was in it, and then at the end... Uh, leading them in prayer to ask Jesus into their heart. So you go through this little booklet <clears throat> and you say, uh, now, do you believe that you're a sinner? You know, Jesus died for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you want to ask Jesus into your heart now? Sure, okay, well, repeat after me, you know. Lord, I'm a sinner, you know, and so on. There are several problems with that, of course, as we found out, because of all the false professions that resulted as a result of that. Uh, and that is that it takes God a while to work in a heart. <laughs> if you're genuinely saved, you know, usually it didn't happen in a moment's time, did it? It takes time for the Holy Spirit to get someone to a point where they recognize that they deserve hell. And so uh, after a few rounds of that, when I was first a believer... Uh, I saw a few false professions. I realized that that's not the way to do it and recognize that it's God who does the saving, not me. I don't have to lead them in a prayer. Do you know that? It's better that you don't, in fact. You think, oh, no, well, then how are they going to know they're, they're saved? Listen, if they trust Jesus Christ, it's not like God kind of didn't see it. Okay? Look, he'll take care of it, all right? And I've seen that over and over again. It's wonderful. So I, I've been to the point long, long ago. I love it. Share the gospel with someone, by the way, which is dynamite, dunamos in itself. Romans 1.16. It's a powerful message. And answer objections. Pray with them. Encourage them. But if at the end they're still resisting, then stop. Commit them to God. 
and pray for them. And uh, it's wonderful to find out later that sometime, someplace, when you weren't even there, it all clicked. And at that point in time, it could be anywhere, up on a plane, you know, falling asleep in bed, doing the dishes, driving the car, you know, doing a Bible study. It all clicks and they surrender their life to Jesus Christ. That's when they're saved because God did it. You see, he's he's waiting there. And the moment they surrender to Christ, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise forever. They have eternal life starting right there. And it's so wonderful uh, if you're the evangelist to not have been there. And it was all the work of God. And you find out later that they were saved. It's great. It, it, it takes the pressure off, you know, that that's what we're. We're just his his uh, ambassadors to speak for Christ. To tell them about Jesus and allow God to do the saving work. And what a great example of it here. You know, we, we can't see in the heart here, but all of this is taking place. Jesus sees it all. Uh, I love verse 28. <clears throat> says he left all rose up and followed him. He said, OK, well, what's so great about that? Well, several things. First of all, I don't know if you noticed. Look at it carefully. It says he left all. And then rose up. Wait a minute. Huh? He where was he? He was sitting at the tax collector's office. And it, and it says he left all and then rose up. Wait a minute. Oh, here. Well, he's sitting down doing tax collecting. And now he leaves all. And then he gets up. What's it saying? It says in his heart, you see, you got it. He made that decision. I'm, I'm giving it all up. I want Jesus. Isn't that great? He left all. And then he rose up and followed Jesus. There was a big uh, debate many years ago about the word repentance, by the way, because simply it means a change of mind. And there were these guys, supposed scholars saying, well, see, so that's repentance is just a change of mind. All I got to do is change my mind. I have to change my life. Uh, what? If you change your mind about your sin and about Jesus, you think your life is going to change a little? Yeah, you can't separate the two. And Matthew is a great example of that, you see. So he repented. He's there. He uh, gave up all. He repented. He turned from his sin, gave up everything. And then he got up, you see, and followed Jesus in evidence of his repentance. Isn't that great? I bet you didn't even notice that. Make a little mark there. Says he left all and then he rose up and here's the other half of it. He left all and he followed Jesus. That's the positive. There's a negative and a positive to being saved. You turn your back on your sin, on your old life and you turn around and now you belong to Jesus. You're his. OK, so there it is. He left all. Then he got out of his chair and then he followed Jesus. It's great. <clears throat> 
By the way, it says he left all. Did you know he left all, but he didn't lose a thing? He left everything, but he didn't lose anything. He found Jesus and he gained everything. His life had been empty and now it was full. It was complete. He now had abundant life. How about you? Do you have an abundant life? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know what we're talking about here? If you've been through this, you know what we're talking about. You can relate to, to Matthew. He's your, he's your brother in the Lord. He could say at this point, even though he's lost everything, you know, whatsoever things were gained to me, I count but loss compared to the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. But what about his job? What about his future? What about his security? Think about it. Come on, let's be honest. The guy just quit his job. Okay? He's walking out the door with Jesus. Jesus is not going to pay him any money. Okay? You know what? <clears throat> He's the securest man in the world. What, what's the thing? You're in good hands, right? Some insurance company, right? <clears throat> His security, his future, his whole life is now anchored to the only rock, capital R, there is. It's Jesus. In particular, by the way, uh, it's founded on two words. Do you know what they are? Anybody? Oh, they're right there. Look at verse 27. Follow me. What else does he need? He doesn't need anything. Listen, Jesus told him to follow him. If he gets up and follows Jesus, you think he's in danger? Uh, You think he's got anything to worry about? (laughs) Man, he's the safest man in the world. That's a rock. When Jesus speaks, if you do it, oh, man, you got nothing to fear. Now, you may die. Nothing wrong with that. It means you get to go to be with Jesus. Okay? But you're, you're in the heart of the will of God. And that's where Matthew was. Follow me. By the way, <clears throat> we're, <clears throat> we were talking about Jesus being unorthodox. Is this unorthodox or what? Going around telling people, follow me. You know, and they get up and leave their profession. Just like the fishermen, right? When their nets were loaded. Okay, that's great. Leave the fish. Come on, follow me. That's, that's not usual. That's not customary. <clears throat> people read about the rich young ruler, you know. He, was, uh, he came to Jesus and wanted eternal life. Jesus went through the commandments. And this guy had the audacity to say, oh, yeah, I've kept all those since my youth. Wow. So Jesus, oh, that's okay. You, you just lack one thing, just one little thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and, and what? Follow me. That, that's the key, you see. Not just sell all your stuff and give to the poor. Follow me. Give your life to me. Put, put your life in my hands. And of course, he went away sad. But Levi didn't. Safest thing to do is to trust Jesus for everything. If you don't know Jesus Christ, uh, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a safe place right now in the hands of Jesus. And it's the only safe place. If you give your life completely to him, you'll never regret it. 
there are so many uh, just single verses that you could rest your life on that Jesus said. For example, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life right now. Shall not come into condemnation, but has eternal life right now. You could rest your whole life just on that one statement. Okay, well, Matthew is a happy man. Verse 29, he gave a great feast. Interesting, he says in his own house, he didn't rent an auditorium. Uh, As I read this and, and thought on it, you know, there's a word I'd like to insert in here that I think we read it, it's so dry, but it's probably the biggest word to describe Matthew. J-O-Y. Joy. Matthew is so happy. He gives an expensive party. It says there's a great number of uh, tax collectors, guys in the same profession he used to be in, as well as other people. So uh, he's not regretting his loss of business here. He's a happy man. He's found Jesus. Okay. So when he gives this party, uh, you've got to get the picture that uh, out of all the faces at uh, the party, the one with the biggest smile on it is his. Okay. He wants, and he wants others now to meet Jesus. But not everyone is rejoicing. In verse 30, it says the Pharisees complained. Interesting. And here we're getting into uh, the subject we're we're talking about this morning. Jesus is an orthodox. You see, Jesus was doing something that you're not supposed to do from their point of view. They're expecting him as a representative of God to behave a certain way. And when he doesn't do that, they don't like it. And so to them... Uh, if you're a religious man, then you don't associate with what they call sinners, the worst of which is a tax collector. You understand? But he's unorthodox. Okay. Praise God. You know, what does it say? This is a, a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Save, Save sinners. Praise God. And so, yeah, he sits down and eats with sinners. Uh, the interesting thing to me is it says here that, he, that he, they complained against the disciples. If you read both Matthew and Mark, it says very plainly that they said to the disciples. Why are you eating wicks with tax gatherers and uh, sinners? Why didn't they go to Jesus? Why didn't they ask him? Interesting. That's the way people work when they want to undermine uh, the work of God. You know, they're going to the disciples trying to break up the ministry of Jesus behind his back. Start whispering, start gossiping. You know, that's the way it's done. Yeah, you're right. Man, I feel kind of uncomfortable here myself. You know, all these tax gatherers. I think the Pharisees are right. That's what they want. You see, 
I sit up and take notice when God says things like, uh, there are six things that God hates, yea, seven that are an abomination to him. My ears perk up. And in that list, the God, uh, things that God particularly hates is one that says this, he who sows discord among the brethren. And having been an elder for 20 years, I can tell you, I agree with God. I hate that. So be careful. Don't be a gossiper. You're undermining the work of God. That's what they wanted to do. Uh, The interesting thing is that um, they expected uh, something like, you know, oh, yeah, you're right. Man, we should we should uh, get out of here. You know, we shouldn't be associating with all these bad people. But uh, Jesus, as usual, is the one that answers them, even though it was the disciples that they talked to. And I want to pay attention to what Jesus said here. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As I read it, two of uh, the words really jumped out at me to kind of summarize where the Pharisees were coming from. Right there in verse 31. No need. No need. That's a chilling summary of the vast majority of people. You know, I don't need Jesus. I don't want him. It reminds me of uh, the Titanic. I think most of you know the story. The lifeboats went out. And uh, the first several lifeboats went out almost empty. Because people are standing up on that nice, secure ship. Looking down in that dark water. With those little tiny boats. And they're saying, oh man, I'm safer up here. They didn't feel any need to get into a lifeboat. Right? Well, you know what happened? Anybody that stayed on the ship perished. Do people still do that today? Yeah. You know, they take a look at Jesus and they say, well, I'm not. It's not that bad. You know, I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. No need, Jesus says. The interesting thing is there are two perspectives here. There's the Pharisees' perspective and Jesus' perspective. By the way, who do you think's right between the two? <laughs> the Pharisees see uh, themselves as healthy and everybody else out there is sick. You know? They don't have a need. Yeah, the people out there may, but not us. Sound like anybody you know? You know, I've talked to people about sin and it's amazing uh, how willing people are to talk about everybody else's sin. In fact, uh, sometimes it gets quite difficult when you're witnessing to someone and you start talking about sin to get them off of the track of, oh, yeah, the world is really rotten, you know, and there's all those bad people out there and stuff. You know, they're like the Pharisees. Everybody else is sick. I'm fine. The other perspective is Jesus. So imagine, let's look at the life Uh, life through his eyes. And this is the way things really are, by the way. And from his point of view, everybody on the earth, in particular right here in this scene, everybody, scribes, Pharisees, lawyers, tax gatherers, the others are all sick. Every one of them. They all need a, uh, a physician. By the way, he's the physician, in case you didn't know. 
Okay. None of them are, are uh, healthy. Well, I take that back. Matthew's healthy now. <laughs> He's been healed by the physician. Which brings us to that wonderful Christian word that I, you see people wince sometimes when you use it. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, yeah, and I just said, I got saved. And it was an unsaved person. Like, ah. You could see them kind of go, oh, what is that stupid? You know, what do you mean saved? Saved. That's a biblical word, so I don't feel bad about using it. Okay. But did you ever think about that? We as believers in describing ourselves and using the Bible, the term that God uses probably more than anything else is we are saved. That, that should strike you. Uh, it's not that we have our act together. We're all going to heaven. You know, that's that's true. But the word is saved. Well, what does that imply? If we're saved, that means what? We were in danger. Right? Peril. Okay? Now, that the world doesn't want to think that. I remember, man, when... Uh, before I was a Christian, people started talking to me about Jesus. I knew they were going to get around to saying I had a problem and I didn't want to hear it. You know, you have a problem. It's your sin. You're going to hell. I don't want to hear that stuff. I'm OK. You know. Well, I mean, that's like uh, having some fatal disease, you know, and telling the doctor, look, don't tell me about it. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. You know. Saved. So uh, the Pharisees needed saving as well as Levi. Part of the problem for people is that the peril of being judged by God and in, in, uh, spending eternity in hell is right now you don't see it. It's in the future. You see, it's a danger that's not here right now. We We can't see it. We can't touch it. And so... We can kind of say, well, therefore, it must not exist. Listen, if God waited until we were there, it'd be too late. Okay, praise God. He tells us in advance. And listen, he uses graphical descriptions about this place and what it's like to warn us and say, you don't want to go there. And this is a place that doesn't end. It's forever. Okay, Jesus, you're sick. Jesus says, and I'm the only physician that can save you from this. Save. Where are you this morning? Are you saved? If you're not, then you've got a certain end of danger. It's just a matter of time. Think about it. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Okay. Uh, verse 31, he, all are, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician. And then verse 32, <clears throat> I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. By the way, it's interesting how he says this. Uh, why doesn't he say, I, uh, I came to call sinners and not the righteous? He flips it around. He says, I haven't come to call the righteous. It's because he's talking to the Pharisees and he's warning them. What he's saying is, I can't help you. If you don't think you have a problem, there's nothing I can do to help you. You've got a problem. 
But if you think you're okay, if you think you're healthy, if you think you're righteous, my hands are tied. Okay? Wow. I think people get this impression that Jesus is kind of like, you know, begging uh, to come into your life because he needs you so badly. Don't you get that impression sometimes? You know, I think sometimes well-meaning professing Christians kind of give that impression, you know. Listen, brace yourself. Jesus doesn't need you. Okay? <laughs> you need him. Badly, desperately. Notice he says, uh, I came to call sinners to repentance. Uh, if anybody ever says, well, where does it teach that you need to repent in the Bible? Well, here's one place. Okay. Jesus is not calling them to religion, to praying prayers, to asking him into their heart, to going to church, to repent. Which is, as we said, a change of mind leading to a change of action. Turning from one sin to Jesus. Okay, uh, 33 through 39 are uh, really what brought about the title of the sermon. And 36 through 39, of course, this difficult section about the garment and the wine and so on. Uh, I hope we'll be able to explain this morning so you'll understand it. But uh, once again, Jesus is unorthodox because he and his disciples don't fast. And John and his disciples do, and so do the Pharisees and their disciples. In fact, that's always the way it's been. If you're a religious guy and you have followers, you fast regularly. Okay? And you, as they say, make prayers. And Jesus is unorthodox because he's not doing that. And they don't like it. And so uh, they ask him, well, why don't you do it? And here's his answer. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them then they will fast in those days uh we don't need to have a whole lesson on um jewish marriage practices and ceremonies but there is one thing to know that there were uh kind of like best men you know that were with the bridegroom before the marriage and it was a time of celebration before the marriage not exactly a bachelor party okay but you get the idea and that wouldn't be a time for them to be mourning you know and well hopefully not and that's what he's referring to he's the bridegroom and he's with his disciples the friends of the the bridegroom and just like in a in a a wedding party it'd be crazy for the best men to get all sad and gloomy because he's about to get married. Again, you know, hopefully that's the case. And so that's what he's saying. I'm the bridegroom. This isn't the time for my disciples to be all down in the mouth and mopey. And in particular, fasting. Now, it makes perfect sense when you think about it this way. Why would John the Baptist and his disciples fast and make prayers? Well, it was to draw nearer to God. You see, that was the point of fasting, right? Have a time where you refrain from eating and they just come apart and pray. And without the distraction of eating, you ever heard of eating as a distraction? Then they can focus on God better. That's the idea. Well, 
Wouldn't it be kind of silly for the disciples to in order to be to God when he's right in their midst? <laughs> They've got a manual. God, you see, <laughs> no, I don't need to fast. There he is right there. You understand? And that's what Jesus is saying. And so he's he's telling them, look, don't expect my ministry to go like John the Baptist or any previous prophet or anybody. I'm not they're they're just prophets. I'm God. Okay? My ministry is going to be a little bit different. <laughs> and that's putting it mildly. And this is the wonderful thing uh, that he's really talking about here in 36 to 39. Let's read it again. Because it's right in light of this question that they asked that this parable comes. He said he spoke a parable. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new piece, piece makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new one will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better. He's talking about his ministry and the way he does things is going to be different from the old way, the way they're accustomed to it. He, he just can't operate the way John the Baptist did, as they were just talking about, or anybody else. Listen, they, they were sinful men. Isaiah, think about the difference, for example. Isaiah the prophet pointed forward to someone who's coming. He didn't know who it was. In fact, he wasn't even sure about what he was going to be like because sometimes he talked about him suffering and sometimes he talked about him in glory. Isaiah was confused. That's the ministry of Isaiah. A sinner. A man with unclean lips, as he said himself. Okay? That's the old garment. That's the old wineskins. Finally, the one who's prophesied comes, the Messiah. And he's more than just a man from God. He is God. You don't have shadows anymore. You don't have any vague looking forward. He's here. You understand? Isaiah spoke words that God gave him. Jesus says he's the one that came down from heaven. He talks about what he knows, where he's been. And so, for example, we've seen this issue come up more than once. When they lowered the guy that uh, was a paralytic, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Isaiah couldn't do that. You see? Well, when Jesus said that, they go, oh, you can't do that. That's not right. Only God can do that. You see? We have these old wineskins. You got, you got to... Uh, have wine that fits into that, those. We have an old garment. Don't stick that new stuff on there. What, is it, what did he say in verse 39? No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. People don't want to change. And certainly the people in his time didn't. They didn't like it when Jesus did things that they didn't expect, you see. Times haven't changed, by the way. We're still like that. You know, people want to put them in a box. You can't do that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Talking to a fellow not too long ago who says he's seeking God anyway. But like so many people, and he reminds me of me before I got saved, he's already decided ahead of time, ahead of time what God can be like. Okay. 
one example that you see over and over again, you know, there's no way God can just speak the universe into existence and it, and it happened. Okay? There can't be a God that great. I won't let him. Isn't that crazy? So I've got this box here, all right? It's this big. These are the dimensions. Ugh, and God's got to fit in that box. If he doesn't, then he's not going to be my God. Well, <clears throat> I hate to say it, but in the case of, case of evolution, the box or the wineskins, whatever you call it, have long ago ripped wide open. Okay? There's no room for the real God anymore. Uh, we've got to uh, throw the wineskins and get some new ones. Doesn't work. <clears throat> but there are so many other uh, boxes and old ways that we bring to him that just won't work. <sighs> Ever heard this one? Jesus helps those who help themselves. Right? And if you start off with that assumption, it's not going to work. It's not going to fit because Jesus is not like that. No. Just like he told them, only the uh, sick are the ones he can help. And if you're going to help yourself, then Jesus can't help you. It's got to be all him. You've got to come to Jesus and say, I am helpless. Okay, zero. <clears throat> Throw away that box. <clears throat> Here's another box. Well, I'll take Jesus as my savior now and I'll worry about making him Lord later. Isn't that good? That's convenient, huh? You know. Praise God, I'm going to heaven, man. My sins are forgiven. Now I can do whatever I want. Uh-uh. That's not the Jesus of the Bible, okay? And if you try to stuff him into that one, well, it's, it's another Jesus. Okay? Uh, oh, well, you know, there are many ways to God. Jesus is just one of them. I heard that not too long ago. You know? It'd be nice if that was true, wouldn't it? You know, just about everybody would probably be going to heaven at that point. The problem is, uh, Jesus fit into that box. I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I, that's pretty clear English, just as it was pretty clear Greek when he said it. Okay. No, he is the only way. And as I said before, I was going to touch on the believers. We've got to be careful too. Okay, particularly when we seek the will of God and we want something so badly that we decide ahead of time. Now, this is what God needs to do in this case, because that's what I want to do. Be careful. All right. That's dangerous stuff. Don't stuff them into what you want, into your preconceived ideas. Man, I can't tell you the number of times I've been pleasantly surprised by God. You know, when I was open to doing what he wanted. His way is so much better. Okay? That's what Jesus is talking about here in these verses, you see. So, let me talk, you know, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ... Let me just tell you the truth, just as I did the other night with a fellow. And I want you to throw away the old wineskin. I want you to dump the old garment. 
and receive Jesus for who he is. Listen to the, the truth about Jesus Christ and say, Lord, you, you need to be who you are. And the way of salvation is the way that it is. And that's what I want to know. And that's what I want to believe. So to begin with, you're a sinner. And be careful and don't say, well, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. Okay. There's none righteous. No, not one. All our righteousnesses, listen to this, are as filthy rags. That's the good stuff. Okay. So throw away that box about, well, you know, I'm basically a good guy. Forget it. In fact, you're so bad. Brace yourself. There's a place called hell where God sends people who don't know Jesus Christ when they die. And that's where you're going if you don't have Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's just so terrible. I can't, I can't, I can't believe that. You know, God is love and so on. Yeah, God is love, but he's also a God of judgment. And as long as you've got that sin, you've got to be judged for it. Okay? Jesus died for you. You shouldn't have too much trouble accepting that one. Praise God. He paid the penalty for you. He raised from the dead. Maybe you're sitting there saying, well, that sounds kind of impossible to me. Well, it says if you believe in your heart that uh, he was raised from the dead, along with confessing him as Lord, you shall be saved. That's an important thing to believe. You can't throw that one out. And as we saw from the passage here this morning, Jesus calls you to repent. Sometimes that's the tough one. But uh, you can try to manipulate Jesus and invent a new Jesus who, who, who says, uh, well, you can have your sin in me too. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Okay. Calls on you to turn from your sin, repent, and turn to Him. And then finally, you've got to give up the idea that there's something that you do to earn heaven. You've got to trust in Him alone and nothing else for the salvation of your soul. Whatever you may be standing on right now, you get completely off of it, and it's as if Jesus is the base over here, and you stand on Him alone. And you say, Lord Jesus, if you fail, I'm sunk. Put your full weight on Jesus Christ. And if you do that, he won't let you down, let me tell you. And there are a lot of people in this room that can testify to that. Okay? Now, that's the Jesus of the Bible. And the Pharisees didn't like him. And most people today don't like that Jesus. But that is the real Jesus Christ who can take you to heaven. I think that's a pretty good deal. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, truly your ways are uh, higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. And we're so glad about that. We just would have made a mess of things a long time ago. We thank you that the salvation you offer is eternal. Wow forever, perfect, unchanging. Lord, Lord, we couldn't ask for more. And we do ask if there's anyone here who has never just finally let go of their sin and and grabbed onto you, that they might this morning, by faith, receive you as their Lord and their Savior. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen.